Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A. It is about, you know, it's not about, it's exactly 7.43 p.m. on a Monday evening here in Northern California, the Bay Area where my wife and I live. Whew. It's been, uh, I was going to say it's been a week, y'all. It's been a month. Uh, it's been, uh, so couple super not happy things to talk about up front some sad stuff normally try to make this show as fun and light and easy as possible uh for my longtime listeners or committed listeners you know that if there's something we need to get to up front that's a little deeper and less celebrationy we'll do it so yeah uh this is our first week in indycar listener q a episode since my f- dear friend uh, reporting partner, co-pilot, you name it, Robin Miller, uh, died last Wednesday. Know that I mentioned this on the intro to the Weekend IndyCar guest show that I just posted many days late with Mike Hull. <clears throat> but for those who weren't original listeners to the show when it first came out, this started with Robin and I. I don't even remember what we called it, but... This early week in IndyCar news, I think, is what it was called. Uh, This was Robin and I, and did it for about 20 to 25 minutes per episode. And I'll share with you that it was a pressure-laden experience for me. Why? Because it was with Robin Miller? No. Again, you know, I love Robin. He meant so much to me, but he was a friend and colleague. You know, I mean, it's just me and Miller doing normal stuff. He and I talking about IndyCar and just recording it for your amusement. Where the pressure came from was Robin constantly. Are you sure? I mean, 20 minutes. Like, that's that's a really long time to talk about IndyCar and answer people's questions. Like, are you are you sure? Why the, why the hell would they care? 20, 20 minutes? Sometimes it'd go to 30. It might have been after an Indy 500. I think we had like a 40 to 45-minute episode. And he almost did it under protest. And then we finished recording. And seriously, he was so put off by it, so angry that we had just spent 45 minutes making a conversation audio podcast internet thing. I don't fully know if Robin ever understood what a podcast was. Got to be honest. I don't know if he fully got it, but he did it uh, because, again, he agreed that it might be a fun thing to do. But that was one of the funny things, maybe. Again, under constant pressure from Robin. Uh, If you happen to listen back to any of those early episodes, you would rather frequently hear him towards the end we could be 18 minutes in all right let's wrap it up and it wasn't because he had something else to go do he just could not fathom that people would want to listen to this so he had to bow out when his health started getting a little bit more challenge-ish uh but nonetheless just huge appreciation to him with this show here that has started it has become the most popular thing period on this dumb little podcast of mine so we do more than one show per week we do some sports car stuff do other features as well 
this week in IndyCar listener Q&A that Robin and I started has become the signature thing uh, of this podcast. So thank you to him for helping to launch it and do it under protest and complain about it and keep looking for ways to make it 10 or 15 minutes. I'm trying to tell him, Miller, yeah, uh, I don't know if we're really going to do our folks who sent in questions that much of a service in 10 or 15 minutes. Well, Jesus Christ, why the hell would people want to listen to freaking me or you? I'm like, well, you, that that's a great point. That's never going to change. So thanks to him. Thanks to y'all uh, who've been here, whether it's from day one or might be listening to your first episode. So a couple things in the Q&A put together by our friend Tim Falkowitz again. We're going to have our man Jim Kaiser back helping to put them together next week. But Tim being the awesome and amazing person that he is, stepped in again to help. Uh, more than a couple of Robin questions in there, as I would expect. Multiple requests to share stories and whatnot, and I'll do my best. Uh, being super honest, super frank. Not even close to being there yet. Um, I know that he is gone. I have processed that with my rational mind. Uh, every other side, the emotional, the this, the that, the subconscious, the there's a lot of parts of my gray matter that have yet to reconcile that. And this isn't meant to be a, oh, woe is me type thing. I know this is the case for a number of his close friends because we've had these conversations. Many of us haven't just had the time to even grieve, really. Uh, to really properly sit down and process this. So whether you were, crazy to say were instead of are, whether you were a dear close friend of his that happens to be listening, whether it's on the media side, if you're a IndyCar crew member or whatever it might be, um, or if you're just someone that read his work and um, loved him, found him amusing, hated him, whatever it was, uh, I know that there's just many of us, many, many, didn't have to know them to be hit hard by this. Many of us who haven't just fully processed uh, waking up today, Monday morning, to start a new work week and to file a somewhat significant driver change story about Groschamp signing with Andretti. Uh, it definitely occurred to me multiple times this morning how bizarre and uncomfortable it was to do that without Robin here. So this is the show where we do Q&A, but we also talk like we're family. And so I hope you all aren't frustrated by me sharing some of this stuff. Um, One thing that I've done for the last, again, whatever the number is, 15 years is whenever I have an IndyCar story to send or a whatever to send, would send that to the news desk, to an editor, to whomever, and copy. Uh, CC, pretty much never a BCC, but always copy Robin Miller, Robin102749 at sbcglobal.net. I... Again, I couldn't tell you how many times I have sent emails and copied Robin on them 
as he would do for me with every story, every thought, right? Hey, got an idea for this. Maybe we should do that. Um, always for a decade and a half, however long. And so again, just one of those little things, little observances of life. How bizarre to start a work week reporting on IndyCar, sending in any story, significant or not, and to have to stop myself from copying Robin because there was no reason to. Um, just again, one of those, duh, like, well, obviously, Pruitt, there's no need. I get that, but just weird. So I'll do my best. Um, please just have some understanding that I'm not even close to being there yet, and it might not happen for the next week or month. It might be longer uh, when there's some real down, quiet time. Uh, tomorrow morning, very excited for my wife and I, but mostly for my wife. We're going to get started with our brand new chemo, uh, with our brand new doctor, brand new healthcare system, brand new everything. And it's going to suck, but I'm really excited that we're starting because if we're starting something, then that means we've officially begun a process that will have an end date. No clue if that is six months, a year, three years, five years. I don't know, but I'm just really stoked that we're about to jump into this, deal with whatever comes, and yeah. So thank you to so many of you who sent incredibly kind and caring notes about Robin. I'm just a friend. Uh, his family is certainly the one that I'm, or is the group that I'm thinking about most heavily. But I do appreciate that so many of you took time. I just finished today, by the way, uh, responding to everyone who sent things via DM and every social media platform I'm on, plus emails, plus you name it. Um, thanks to everybody who took time to do that, to think of my silly self. And also thanks to, good Lord, every single one of you who has sent similar messages about my wife uh, and those of you who incredibly um, have helped support us with the GoFundMe page that my family at Racer created. So uh, that's kind of the major stuff to share up front. I'm uh, going to give you one or two more very quick things, and then off we go. I'm going to sip the iced coffee that I bought uh, while sitting at one of my wife's long appointments this afternoon. And uh, I really didn't drink it too much, but my voice is hoarse and hopefully it sucks less with that little sip. Um, two other folks that we lost last week, and I'm in the midst of writing an obituary for one, which is going to be fairly long. Um, and then once I'm done with that, hopefully on Wednesday, I'll write the other one. Uh, we lost Jackie Doty. She, I've had her described from some of her friends, important friends, uh, as a legend, as a game changer. Uh, she was half of Lynx Racing, L-Y-N-X. Uh, half of Lynx Racing. She and Peggy Haas formed Lynx Racing in 1990. Uh, what back then we would have called the uh, the road to Indy, but really uh, it was the uh, Atlantic Championship, Toyota Atlantic Championship, uh, Lynx Racing, 
dominant team of its era that gave so many drivers a shot. Jackie, along with Peggy, produced so many IndyCar drivers, stars. Uh, boy, from Patrick Carpentier to Mamo Gidley to Alex Barron to Indy 500 winner Buddy Rice. There are many others, uh, quite a few of whom focused more heavily on sports cars or spent some time in the IRL. But uh, the engineers, the crew, the media people, like just an academy at Lynx Racing that Jackie and her uh, partner, friend, co-conspirator Peggy Haas operated for 14 years. And so Jackie's passing, again, I know this is uh, for some a team you might have never heard of, might have been before you were live or before you started following racing, but what they created with Lynx Racing was transformational. Just it was truly a driver academy. They went and picked the drivers they like, funded them, and helped push them to the top. So many crew members started there or came there and went on to bigger things. There's so many former Lynx uh, employees that have worked in all the biggest series and some that still do. And then there's just the obvious part. In 1990, how many women were starting their own Road to Indy team? And again, this is the Toyota Atlantic Championship. Uh, This is before the Road to Indy was a thing. But back then there were two, well, there were three ladder series, but two that really propelled drivers to IndyCar. It's Formula Atlantic and Indy Lights. And just thinking about this, this wasn't happening in Indy Lights. This wasn't happening anywhere else. Uh, these two women said, not only are we going to do this, fund, find talent, groom them, prepare them, and then through the championships they win with us or the talent they demonstrate, uh, they're going to be undeniable to IndyCar teams. And that happened over and over and over again. They did everything at the highest level absolutely impeccable approach to quality uh, so much fun that was had a real family spirit but just again over over the last number of decades we've had so few women as team owners in open wheel racing sarah fisher of course shining example with what she started with what she developed with wink uh, hartman with what then developed with Ed Carpenter, uh, what's evolved into Ed Carpenter Racing. Amazing stuff that Sarah did. Obviously, Beth Peretta at the Indy 500 this year. Fan, truly amazing stuff. Gotta look back, though, and say what Jackie did with her pal Peggy Haas. Um, like groundbreaking in their presence, their quality, and while they team was comprised largely of men this was not two women with money just hiring a bunch of people to do stuff for them they ran the team managed it hired other women to manage significant parts of the team this was as co-ed if you want to call it as you could imagine and women in real positions of strength and authority just creating so much quality there just legacy amazing legacy so i was so saddened to hear about jackie's passing so by coincidence 
She passed on Wednesday, August 24th, at the age of 71. Robin Miller passed on August 24th at the age of 71. So two great racers that we happened to lose. Also, someone that I knew back in the day when I was a crew member in Indy Light, Steve Brody, who was Greg Moore's crew chief at the uh, players team. Brody was just crazy. Loved that guy. He went on to work. The IRL won the 98-8500 with Eddie Cheever. Uh, worked with players in cart and did just a bunch of stuff. Brody as well died last week. So once I get Jackie's obituary done, uh, spoken with Steve Cameron, who ran the team, Vicky O'Connor, who ran the Atlantic Championship, Peggy Haas uh, a lot on Sunday, and then spoke with Buddy Rice as well today. Taking me a little while to put it together, but once I'm done with that, I'm going to do uh, Brody's obituary as well. So uh, that's the end of the sad stuff. Uh, I'm going to tell you one more thing, and I can't tell you a whole lot about it, but I do my best whenever possible. So we should have a couple driver announcements this week, knowing that we have three races left. There are a couple teams with drivers to put in positions uh, to do one or more of those three races to close out the year, Portland, Laguna, and Long Beach. Uh, one of those is Hunkos Hollinger Racing, and I'm still not sure if it's Holling or Hollinge. Uh, I'll find out here shortly, but uh, Hunkos Hollinger Racing, uh, they going to be going to those last three races, like I wrote about on racer.com. Uh, I am aware of who will be driving the car at Portland, not totally sure on the next two. Have a pretty good idea as to who could. Uh, waiting to hear back a little bit about that, but not going to be revealing who's going to be in the car at Portland on the show here, but I can tell you I know who it is because I recommended the driver <laughs> and provided contact for the driver with uh, Ricky, and uh, thankfully they came to terms, and I mean, I'm not involved in any of that stuff, truly. Just gave him a recommendation and Gave him a phone number, but yeah, uh, stoked to see that that driver will be uh, will be in the field at Portland, and oh, I hope things go well because if they do, wow, I think that could open a big old door for Ricky and Brad Hollinger uh, and that driver potentially to work together next year. But again, we'll also find out who they're able to uh, to get in the car for the last two races, but. Yeah, it's always fun when you just have a friend like, hey, uh, we're looking. Any thoughts? Yeah, here's two or three. Um, and by chance, uh, one of them happened to work out. So, yeah, funny how that stuff pans out. Um, all right, it's time, officially, as if anyone cares, and official is just kind of a construct of my broken mind. It's officially time to start your q and I'm putting a little marker here, dropping a little music bed Hopefully it's uh, something that you still like because I still like. Uh, Tim Falkowitz, once again, thank you, brother. Thanks to all of you for your questions. And uh, where, where are we going to start them off? Where are we launching this? Robin Millerland. Howard Bennett says, Marshall, this for me is Robin at his finest. Interviewing Fred, a.k.a. Fernando Alonso, after he announced he was coming. He was a coming to Indy. It just doesn't get any better. Camera work was pretty good also. says, uh, you were there with him for many of the racer interviews. Give us a few nice tales and stories of breaded tenderloin, please. 
And yeah, that was Miller uh, interviewing Fernando. And what's funny is I saw Fernando, I forget when, like the next year somewhere, wherever it was, I saw Fernando. And uh, Miller had gotten sick. And so just trying to rally some friends saying nice things about him. And uh, yeah, it was quite fun, actually, because... For a guy like Alonzo, right, world champion, Formula One superstar, all those things, he has a million media engagements a day. I guarantee you he does not remember 99% of them. Uh, I mentioned Robin, and I didn't have to really go into a deep explanation. Oh, yes, no, yeah, yes, I remember. How could I forget? And it was kind of a, you know, tip without saying it, kind of tipping his hand like, yeah, that guy's a little crazy. Uh, so it was just fun, Howard, to see uh, good old Fred, fast freaking Fernando. Yeah, yeah you're never going to forget your first Miller interview, especially when you're accustomed to uh, whatever layers of professionalism and whatnot uh in formula one so that was uh that was good you know uh the behind the scenes stuff is usually kind of fun so i've never been very comfortable being on camera for those who've seen me on camera i just told you the most obvious thing ever but it's just right it's a mental thing it's not a spiritual thing it's not a physical thing uh i'm the son of a mechanic right like it's never made any sense to me. Like, why would I stand in front of a camera? Why do anybody watch? Blah, blah, blah. So for the first, I don't know how long, we'd do our end-of-day videos 10 years ago, and I'm standing behind the camera. I'm directing. Uh, I'm throwing out questions for Miller to feed in some cases, but usually he's uh, got that handled more than, you know, he doesn't need to hear anything from me. But anyways... I'm behind the camera by intent and talking about the, he and I being on camera, that's, you know, whatever, uh, not a whole lot to share there, but what I loved about Miller and his interviews and the, I don't know, hundred plus that I filmed and edited and posted and whatever, it was the clear rapport he had with the majority of people he was interviewing and it was the ease, right? So he famously was Mr. Single take, Mr. One take. Now granted, um, that was the legend and he was so good at just let's go. All right. Rolling and off he goes. Three minute interview, five minute interview, no real fumbling around all off the top of his dome and just right. He would have been a good rapper, a freestyle rapper back in the day, but Mr. One take, well, he didn't always have the one take. Sometimes he would fumble words. Totally normal, right? Happens like it happens every day, all the time. Totally normal. But when you pride yourself and tell folks, you're Mr. One take, for a guy who was so easily angered as Miller, and normally he was angry at himself, that's where the funny stuff came from, Howard. So he's standing next to Elio Castro Neves, Hunter Ray, Will Power, whomever. And he'd maybe be a little more aware if we were around a bunch of people. But usually, again, it's on pit lane, it's on a balcony somewhere, it's somewhat quiet setting or limited setting. And he would fumble a word, 
or lose his train of thought. And again, if I were to sometime, I hope to take the time and go back and watch a bunch of these and pull out all the bloopers because it is, as I put in the little memorial of Robin, that man could curse like nobody else. And hearing him go from, yeah, so you had a really good run today, but you know, uh, I, I know obviously you don't want to be fifth, you know, you're used to winning. So what is, what mother, and this explosion and watching <laughs> the driver's eyes get big as saucers and more often than not, there would be a PR rep attached to that driver, whomever that was nearby, and you'd see he or she, their eyes go, and Raga Fraga Zag and Dagger Brackets, and damn it, Fraggin Braggers and Miller, what the frack is wrong with you? Jesus Christ, right? And so, what normally happens then when you stumble once? Well, you stumble a second time. And it is losing it. And, you know, I don't seem to recall too many third instances of that, but that was just always so much fun, Howard. Like the normal one take Miller, everything working as intended. Good, great, and amazing. We all loved it, but just from a behind the camera standpoint it was almost disappointing because the volcanic eruptions were like oh that was so good and no one else is going to do it like that no one else Uh, this is pure miller uh he again lightning bolt should be striking him down right now for what he just said uh but never apologized (laughs) never right again uh, miller miller was an unapologetic figure so he was just himself and figure you'll deal with it. And so that kind of stuff was super fun, Howard. I uh, did. It was kind of amazing when he was like, look, you idiot. You, you need to be over. Look, I'm tired of talking t- into the stupid camera. I'm like, come over here and let's you and I talk. I'm like, all right. And anyways, it was painful, but maybe I've gotten a little more comfortable with that. But that was pretty amazing standing next to him. Um, you know, I love looking at some of the comments too. Shut up, Pruitt. Let Miller talk. And I'm like, I don't disagree with you, <laughs> but it'd be a little weird if you've got Miller and then the kind of big fat Ophi looking guy, just holding the microphone, holding the pitchfork, staring at you, uh, the whole time. So anyways, that was a lot of fun. Uh, how about this? I'll leave this with one, uh, you know, let me take David Cubine's question there's a couple in here and it's a lot of can you share stories can you share behind the scenes uh jordan darwin also asks uh uh, similar there and i think yeah well heck there's many of you who had uh, who've asked similar things uh david cubine you say marshall continued healing thoughts for your wife thanks man Uh, he says i'm sure you'll have a few more things to say about robin this week says i always thought of uh Thought one of his great talents was doing a live TV driver interview. Any stories about what may have happened just before or after some of those live shots we didn't get to see that might be a classic Miller moment? So I know that's almost identical to uh, uh, what Howard asked, but wanted to, the Miller moment that, that jumps out as one of my favorite, and it was something he and I conspired to do. Uh, I don't remember which year at the speedway 
Uh, it might have been... Actually, it might not have... I think it was the Speedway. Yes. And again, I don't remember if it was 2018 or 19, whenever it was. Um, I think he'd crashed. And this wasn't the, you know, almost killing himself one in, what, 2017. So whenever it was. Uh, he and I had an idea. I remember who had the idea. But we knew that he was feeling... Bourdais was feeling a little shaky about his place in security at Dale Coin Racing. So, cooked up the idea, knowing we'd be doing our end-of-day video, hamburger, french fry, and Miller was our bacon, where I said, well, let's, let's have a fake phone call come in while we are filming uh, and have it as Dale Coin." And I'm like, this, this is going to work. And so I think our friend David Malsher, I think we roped Davey into this to help us. And uh, I texted him right before we started recording and said, hey, in you know three minutes, call me. And so I went in and changed uh, Malsher's name in the contacts to Dale Coyne. So when he called, it would pop up as Dale Coyne. Uh, and so we're talking and... I left my ringer on intentionally so it would enter. Not only we'd hear it, but it interrupt. I'm like, oh man, I'm sorry. Oh Jesus, I'm sorry, guys. Forgot to turn off my ringer. Hold on, just a sec. You know, let's stop recording for a sec. So, uh, or you know, hold on. And so, kept the thing rolling, of course. Uh, but anyways, picked up my phone and I kind of held it up to Bourdais, like, well, what the hell? Uh, you know what? And so he bit somewhat. But again, Seb is enough of a not totally sure anything is real kind of guy that, uh, anyways, uh, answered it and then just played a little bit like, hey, Dale, what's going on? Again, you probably find it on uh, the good old interwebs, but uh, long story short, uh, just played it up with him that, yes, indeed, Dale had called and said uh, they were uh, they were going to make a change. And so Miller and I did our best to bait that hook. And again, I'll have to watch it back. I think Seb, Seb bit. I don't know if it was as hard as we'd hoped, but I know Miller and I had a big old laugh at that. So I'm sure I'll think of more Miller moments, but that one I loved because it was honestly, it was classic Miller, but also myself of just like what kind of mayhem and nonsense can we insert into this, right? This is what we do for a living, the covering the sport, talking about stuff, writing about it. Like that's normal. It's truly, it's our day job. So anytime you can add some fun and, and mischief to your day job, well, anyways, so yeah, we had uh, we had a good time doing that for sure. Uh, Jordan Darwin, you say, MP, any good Robin Miller stories that can be shared? Oh, yes, there's many. He says, Robin used to talk in Wind Tunnel a lot about IndyCar needing hate and bad blood between drivers to drive up interest and ratings. Was he still of that opinion uh, through this season? Yeah, always. Absolutely always. And there's a little bit of an echo chamber there too, Jordan. Uh, Paul Tracy uh, is mentioning, you know, saying that very same thing to me through text. I don't know, within the last couple of weeks or month or whatever. And, um, you know, there's some others, not as many, but there's definitely a lot of others really fully invested in Robin's longstanding belief that, yes, you need some people that don't like each other. You need there to be some drama 
that isn't just about turning left and right and braking and accelerating. There has to be a, a human element with stress, with bonds, with all the things we have in real life that make us not just interconnected, but things that cause us happiness or make us fret, like all the things that tend to complicate our normal lives, or for those who are fortunate to have uncomplicated lives, but can find those complications on Bravo Channel or the E! Network Channel or whatever, the Kardashian-type shows or the Real Housewives of wherever, those shows have nothing to do with reality. It's just purely drama and, oh my gosh, did you hear what he said to her and she said to him and this one over here is a this and this other one's a that, And right? It's just manufactured nonsense, but it gets the blood up and going. I don't know if I want to see manufactured nonsense, but Miller's point of, like, hey, some of the, the best things that, can help a sport when it's trying to be seen or remembered like IndyCar is to have one driver get out of the car and try and deck the other. And I realize that today's world is one of being a pacifist and everyone talk it out and hold hands and don't be physically aggressive. Totally get that. But we're also in a sport where there's a lot of aggression involved. Uh, Usually, from behind the wheel of a very high-speed motor racing vehicle. So the human tensions that you would see manifest sometimes in driving, uh, I totally understand Miller's point, but it has to be real, and that's the thing that I keep coming back to. So let's go back to Worldwide Technology Raceways and the incident between Renus VK, Alex Pillow, and Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon, personality-wise, is not the type to get out of a car, throw a punch, push a person, whatever. Polo, the total, I mean, again, he's even farther in that direction than Dixon. Like, uh, sometimes I'm afraid he'll walk over and say thank you to the person who took him out. But what would that have done if that crash, which heavily affected the two, resulted in a shoving match, which I often refer to as a pillow fight, right? If you're shoving one another, you're not really fighting. You're just, it's performative. You're demonstrating. Um, But what if someone had started pushing the other one and it got a little testy until the uh, emergency response folks separated them? I'm not talking about punches being thrown or kneeing the other person in the uh, twig and berries, but... That kind of stuff, it stands out. It shows passion. It shows human elements that, hi, yep, like to thank Sponsor X and uh, my crew, and they did a great job, and, uh, man, I got a great engine, and, boy, those tires were amazing, and I want to thank my mom and dad. and Cool, awesome. You can hear that from every single driver in every single race. When folks let their emotions loose, when someone calls each other the biggest bleep to bleep to bleep Those are the things that I think Miller and some others feel. We don't have the drivers with the temperament or the willingness to truly let loose. 
And in today's age, I totally get why, right? I'm sure there are some drivers who have wanted to go down and knock teeth out of a rival's face for something they've done over the past couple years or whenever. We're in a time where that's the kind of thing that would not be tolerated or understood. That would be the kind of thing that would get you fired. Forget just suspended or banned for however many races by the series, but actual, you have brought shame upon our good business name, and as your sponsor, we feel the need to leave and pull out because you did this unbelievable thing of punching someone. So, again, we're just not in an era where this, I think, Jordan can really be sanctioned without there being much bigger repercussions and drivers being unemployed and sponsors saying we're out um, because they feel they have to. So, yeah, great question as to whether this will ever come back in this direction. I'm old enough to have seen many things come into fashion and go out of fashion. Same with sensibilities among the the greater population. And things we could never imagine being tolerated today, tolerated in the past, and might come back around to being tolerated. We'll have to see. Uh, Cody Oakwood says, MP, what was funnier? The Uncle Bobby stories Robin Miller loved to tell, or the imitation of Uncle Bobby's voice that Robin used to used to tell the stories. He says, I think the Bobby impressions got me rolling more than the actual stories. What say you? One of the great things, as I wrote about in my little memorial, truly one of the greatest things of my life was every month of May sitting next to Robin. And although I didn't mention it in that piece, Uncle Bobby was there five to ten times a day. Now, granted, He might not have been in the state. (laughs) He might not have been within 2,000 miles of Speedway, Indiana. But he was there in the media center five to ten times a day, thanks to Robin Miller speaking in that high-pitched, lilting, rolling Uncle Bobby voice, telling stories or just reacting to things, son, uh, to something someone said uh, on pit lane, walking around wherever, going to grab lunch, going to whatever, 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 whatever. Um, Uncle Bobby was always with Robin. And so sad to think we have lost both of these giants of personality and fun in the same year within a matter of months. Uh I'm so sad for my friend Steve Shunk, who was Robin's best friend. Robin had a couple of best friends, but, I mean, really, Robin was his best friend, without a doubt. Um, Uncle Bobby was his hero, and he was so many things for Uncle Bobby. Uh, looked after him in so many ways. Uh, also, dearest, dear, dear, dear friend. So, of the many people that I've reached out to and expressed my condolences to them uh, Shunk, I just called Shunk, and I know a number of folks have, like, man, sorry, brother, you've uh, truly lost the two people you loved most and who were the biggest, biggest um, 
portion of your life in the same year in a short time span. Just brutal. So I will miss hearing Uncle Bobby come to life multiple times a day with Miller on top of all the other things he and I did. Um, Wow. Just nuts. Yeah. I love your, I love well spotted Cody. Uh, The stories are great, but Robin performing the stories by far the best. All right. Last one or two Robin items. Then we're going to move on to some other things. Brian Burrell. Um, you're one of a few people who've asked this. And so thank you for asking it. Um, he says, don't think anyone will ever be able, not with uh, the human resources policies these days, to replicate, replace, or equal Mr. Miller. But man, I will miss the mailbag. Says any talk at Racer, if you or a host of the great folks there would be keeping it going, Brian goes on to say, my Wednesdays will never be the same without reading Robin Miller, but maybe uh, y'all could still be uh, focused on IndyCar doing that mailbag, and hopefully it sticks around in some form. Had a couple of folks both, I shouldn't say a couple, but a lot of people say, please keep the mailbag going. Have had, uh, I don't know, I mean, a, a decent amount of people, whatever number, uh, suggest or urge that I continue the mailbag. Um, really awkward. That was Robin's, not mine. In the again ten or fifteen years we worked together, and majority of that was you know fairly well tied to the hip. I think I, <clears throat> I think I did two. Maybe three mailbags over again ten plus years, and it's fun. It's a lot of work, uh, but yeah, awkward because it's not the IndyCar mailbag. It's not Indy mailbag. It's Miller's mailbag, and that's his creation, his legacy. That's him uh, and his style of answering people, which I'm like, Miller, I love you, but you are so kind. <laughs> Granted, now, again, this is just some more of the stuff behind the scenes, and you know, I'm sure more of the stuff will come to mind over the years. You know, he'd forward a lot of things, right, every week. Could be one item, could be five to ten, who knows. Um, someone asking a question for him, but that he didn't fully understand. Received for brother, could you could you tell me what in the hell they're talking about? Um, he's like, you know, whatever it is. Like, I'm trying to read this, and it's like it's in a foreign language. And uh, you know, I'll try and reply. Oh yeah, okay. What they're asking about is this, and you know, oh okay, all right. Well, what the hell should I say? I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, honestly, I'd tell him this. You know, if someone's going to ask a question that's way out of left field or really, you know, uh, uninformed or intentionally antagonistic like give it back right if someone's gonna waste your time with nonsense like you know get in you know give back as good as you get have some fun and he'd be really kind and i'm like yeah you're nicer than i am miller anyways uh i'd get stuff like that all the time um but that was his and so even though i did it two times, maybe three over a decade plus filling in where 
he was sick as a dog or went on vacation and you know whatever i always um his so i have not thought about should i would i could i i don't want to i really truly am saying this with a thousand percent honesty i do not want to if i am asked by racer to continue the mailbag knowing that it is one of the uh the site's most popular items I will do whatever my client asks me to do if I'm comfortable in doing it. But I would have no interest in seeing something published with Pruitt's mailbag on it. Uh, I have tried to. I, I appreciate your question, or I appreciate Tim choosing your question, Brian, because I just thought it, it, clearly Tim thought it, of the many that asked the same thing, encapsulated a lot of great touch points here and I appreciate you asking it so I can share this here definitively. I spent all those years working with Robin, both being in a shadow, realizing that, Hey, I might be the number two IndyCar reporter in the world. Who knows? I sure as hell, not the number one. I never will be the number one. Uh, not only while that man is on the earth, upright, but also afterwards. Like, really. Uh, not a lot of people remember who came off the bench to spell Michael Jordan when he needed a break. Run down the list of your favorite athletes and who their backup might be. Who the number two is. They, right? That's not. Those aren't names you remember a whole bunch. Um I'm not saying y'all don't know me or remember me. I'm just saying that I've always been perfectly aware. There was Robin Miller and then everyone else. And so I've never tried to be him. I've never tried to vie for the P1 position. Like never, ever, 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 ever. Man for me has always been up on a pedestal. And so when I think of this, Brian, this just stands out as, that's Robbins. I've never tried to be on the same runway and complicate his flight path. I've always done my job. Always push hard. Uh, pretty much been the major contributor to Racer since I got there. It's all fine. It's all good. It's what I'm paid to do. It's what I love to do. But even with the end-of-month traffic reports that we get of whose story did what and who the top 10 IndyCar stories, sports car, NASCAR, F1, what those top 10 stories were, who wrote them, the again, the, the metrics to quantify who's P1 or P10 or whatever else. Like, I know where I sit in terms of value to my client, how much I have contributed for a long, long time, eight years now. I forget how long, but for a long, long time. Even so, even if I happen to have all 10 spots in that month's IndyCar content in terms of traffic and whatever else. Still never going to be Robin Miller. (laughs) Still going to be P2 to that guy. And his signature items, whether it's a mailbag or the mid-season report cards or whatever else. Again, um, just not even a lane I want to veer into, Brian. So if I'm asked to do something to keep the mail bag going, 
I will happily have the conversation. I have not heard a whisper about this since Robin's passing. I can't, I'm not saying thoughts haven't been held, just saying they haven't been shared with me. So this is a question that I have obviously thought about uh, well before Robin died and have thought about since, and not from a personal standpoint, but from a, whew, that guy was an institution for so many people in IndyCar. A habit. I know on Wednesdays I'm going to get, as you mentioned, Brian, going to get my mailbag and not having it feel strange. I know that I'm going to get this from Miller or that. I know these things. Is our cat Rocky Meows? Hey, Rock. Um, this guy's been a habit for the majority of diehard IndyCar fans who follow along each week and want to know what's happening, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know how you fill that. Like, that's the thing. Uh, of course, someone else could take this and take that and just kind of try and keep that thing going, but that's not Miller. <laughs> There's nobody that's Miller. So that's certainly been something I've spent a lot of time thinking about. This is going to be a massive void when he's gone. And I don't know how you replace that void. If you replace that void, or if we just accept there is no one like him, others can perform the same duties like him, but they're not him. And what ultimately have folks come to Racer or Speed or ESPN or whatever, come Indie Star, come to for decades, him being him in his style and all of his mannerisms, his faults, all that stuff. Um, it's why I think this is just a bit of a quandary, Brian. Um, I know that missing him is crazy. Not having his regular presence on the site for a little while now has been, you know, it's been a while since Robin was able to do everything like clockwork. So I hope that's helped ease, if that's the right way to put it, some folks to transition from us having him and being here to that habit maybe winding down a little bit. I don't know what happens from here, but uh, I'll certainly let you know if and when I hear something. Uh, last item here, James Counter says, MP, I'm assuming the next race at Portland will be full of Robin Miller tributes. What tributes do you think should be done? Uh, he says, hashtag me personally. I think everyone should turn up in a tracksuit, even Roger Penske. I've heard that uh, one person is, or a couple folks, but led by one person. Uh, there are a lot of folks thinking, or whatever number thinking they're going to show up uh, in sweatpants or something uh, for one of the days, kind of in honor of Miller. And I can guarantee you there's going to be a, a video tribute or package that's going to make, you know, if you haven't cried yet, you probably will. Um, some of you might have seen a social media post that I had. Uh, that there's a new Robin Miller tribute uh, sticker uh, that was a uh, quote that Steve Shunk helped with uh, Steve and 
Robin's sister, Diane, you know, came up with an approved and sent over Roger Warwick, our friend, amazing artist who does pretty much everything for uh, my shows. Uh, he's come up with a little tribute sticker, or I shouldn't say little. I don't know why I say little. I don't mean that to be dismissive, but a uh, tribute sticker. So uh, those should be in on Thursday. Um, I'm gonna, not sure whether I'm going to hand deliver them if I can go to Portland, or I think I'm just going to mail them to IndyCar. Uh, they'll hand those out as cars go through tech on Thursday. Uh, I know that at Gateway. Was it Gateway? Was it Nashville? I think Nashville. Uh, Nashville. When I sent the series, uh, the Get Well Robin Miller stickers, uh, I know they were handed out to every team. I'm aware of some that did not run them. Uh, it's their choice. Their cars do as they please. I'll just say this. If you are handed Robin Miller stickers to place on your cars and you do not, you are trash. <laughs> Absolute trash. Because whether you liked the guy or didn't like the guy, he did something to directly help you and your team at some point in time. Whether you knew about it or not, whether it was a story that he wrote, whether it was a recommendation for a driver or a mechanic or an engineer to go to wherever, uh, whether it was a tip on a new hotel at a new track that we were going to, Hey, go to this place. that has got a great, whatever it is. They saved you money, uh, helped you with people that were recruited, whether it was writing a story that helped and benefited you. And when you were, having hard times and sponsors were a little unsure that Miller story showed up that helped calm the waters. Like every single team has had that is in the field and about to be or whatever owes that man a debt. So again, uh, I hope to be there. Uh, I know that stickers will be given out to every single team for every single entry. And if I see any of them that choose not to run them, I'll absolutely let you know. Because it's a earmuffs moment. Absolute bullshit. If you can't find it within yourself to pay tribute to the guy that has absolutely made your team better, a bigger deal, or helped you stay off the unemployment line. Uh, if you can't find a reason to swallow your pride or put aside whatever grudge you had to just pay tribute to him like everyone else. These are the things I remember. Uh, let's move on to a different topic. Our pal Rick Clement, who I used to work with at uh, two different IndyCar teams, my pal Rick. Uh, he says, Romain Groschon to the number 28 Andretti Autosport car. Now official. Well, it's not official. Uh, I wrote the story saying he's signed. It's not official because they haven't confirmed it. But I can tell you that it's confirmed. He says, let's talk about it. And by the way, I did read your piece in Racer concerning the subject. LOL. Sometimes I give Rick a little bit of guff because he'll comment on something. It's kind of clear he hasn't read it at all. But, yeah, that's okay. That's kind of modern-day Internet 101. Uh, Daniel Summerskill also says, on the topic, with Romain likely to be announced in the 28 Andretti Autosport car for 2022, are we to assume he is committed to doing the full season? I think you would have read my story, Daniel, full season. 
Uh, and if so, what are the chances of him being a title contender? Also, will race engineer Olivier Boisson be moving with him to Andretti Autosport? So, going to work backwards here. I vacillated. I went back and forth on whether to include Olivier in that story. Ultimately chose not to. Uh, hadn't spoken with him about it. I know that I've certainly heard time and time again that Romain has said, well, I'm not driving an Indy car if Olivier isn't my engineer. So I think that's a pretty good indicator that if Romain uh, has signed a deal to drive for another team that uh, he would be hoping and expecting in something, ing, that uh, Olivier um, and his awesome partner, Kate Shoup, uh, would be going with him. So I don't have an answer to that, Daniel. Uh, I can tell you this, based on how they've performed this year, it'd be nuts for Roma to go to another team and start over with an engineer he doesn't know. Uh, so, yeah, if I'm Roma, which I'm not, thankfully, he would be really depressed to look in the mirror and see me as himself. But if I'm Romain, I am not signing a deal without knowing that uh, my countryman, good man, super brilliant guy, Olivier Boisson, isn't coming with me. So don't have an answer for you, but can't believe he'd go without him. So there's that. Uh, yes, this would be full season. Uh, so yes. Uh, Rick, as for, let's talk about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> interesting exchange today. Won't talk about it now. But if one of you, likely a listener and Prude listener group member, Ryan Terpster, reminds me later in the year, maybe in December, uh, I'll tell you about a funny exchange today related to this. Uh swap i shouldn't say swap this move so yeah um it's a big deal it really is what impresses me the most about romain is this he has been a full solution guy rookie learning tracks for the first time and all the stuff that we know but this is a guy who has raced like mad with confidence qualified incredibly well team. Cause it's a small team. Of course, they've also had some down days, but by and large, he has been operating as a rookie. Like he is a veteran with no real holes in his game. And more often than not, uh, this guy is racing forward, going forward, attacking, finds himself in a good place, if not a great place, more frequently than you would expect of a guy, rookie, learning everything, new and unfamiliar stuff. And so the the thinking here is, imagine him coming back with a full season of experience and knowing this stuff. Realize he's got a lot of oval knowledge to gain and a lot of oval tracks to learn, but you look at the aptitude. Look at Alex Pillow right? Uh, almost winning Indy 500 on his second visit. Obviously, Romain has to do his first, but you can see how a guy who's never done 
the least bit of oval racing can absolutely uh, demonstrate that they're really darn good and should be feared, respected, and all those things uh, in a very short amount of time. So I'm very confident in saying that, hey, I think Roma is going to be a full solution for them right away, a title contender right away. Um, if he's not a top five, top six finisher in the championship next year, I will be shocked. And for those who remember it, when I say things like this and throw it back in my face when I'm wrong, please remember it and throw it back in my face. I just think this guy is that good. What I love about this, Rick, for those who followed Formula One closely for a long time as I have, as my friend and colleague Chris Medlin, Racers Formula One reporter, posted on the good old tweeters today, yeah, we thought he was going to enjoy life and you know have some better results this year than he has with Haas or whomever else, but really didn't expect it to be that good. Really didn't expect him to do one year with Dale Coyne and get the call up to a dready freaking auto sport. Um, what I love about this Rick, and it so fits his Phoenix emerging from the fire type caricature that he loves after uh, last November's crazy, crazy crash and fire. This just fits that story, doesn't it? Romain Groschon, very highly talented guy, known that. That's never been a question. Also, if I refer back to an old movie starring Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence, also a little bit like the character, what was it, Can't Get Right? I think Bokeem Woodbine played him. Was it Can't Get Right, Can't Get Straight? We'll just go Can't Get Right. That was his character. Um, Romav through the majority of his formula one career was can't get right. Know that there's seemingly all the ingredients to be super special race, winning consistent, all these things, title contender ish. I don't know if world champion materials, what I would say, but right. A guy who could be there, thereabouts, same thing. Top five, top six every year. <sighs> Just a little bit of can't get right. I know that he had one great year with Lotus, right? Great, great year. Too many others where you go, even if your team was on a down year, what's the thing in F1 you always do? You compare them to their teammate and you go, boy, on too many occasions, it seemed like you were off in the wilderness while your teammate was doing better. wasn't always the case. Just saying on too many occasions. There was that can't get right thing. You go, wow, all right. Well, this is this is going to be sad. His career is most likely going to end with Haas, right? Uh, last year or two, definitely not one of the strong performers. You're towards the bottom, and there's a lot of heartbreak. Could be a mistake. Could be whatever. Constantly complaining about breaks. And, right, there's just a little bit of a narrative that won't go away. And he fed it. Some of it was unfair, some of it wasn't, but just a little bit of a, you kind of keep doing the wah, 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 moving down the farther down the paddock, farther away from your better days. You're still young-ish, but it's pretty rare to be at a Haas F1 fighting over 18th place or whatever. 
and then get the call up to go to whatever it would be in the midfield or one of the top teams as well. And so that's what, Rick, that I, I love about this. A guy who was seemingly destined for a kind of humbling exit from F1, even if there was no crash, even if right, just seemed like, eh, story might be over. I don't know how much of a commodity you're going to be. Dale Coyne said he reached out to him before all that, so provided that's true, good on him. But this is a guy who has reimagined himself in a single season, reinvented himself. Again, very Phoenix-like, and I love that. It is, it's, it's such a thing that we in America love. Picked himself up by the proverbial bootstraps. Um... So it's just really cool. And as my boy Snoop Medley Med wrote today, boy, uh, this time last year, keeping in mind that his big crazy fiery crash was what, like November 29th, I think, whatever. In August of 2020, (laughs) would any of us have said out loud, oh, yeah. This time next year, Romain Groschamp will have a new multi-year full-time contract in hand to drive for Michael Andretti. <laughs> Teammate to Colton Herta, the biggest prodigy in the series at the time. Obviously, we add Pato Award to that. Co-prodigies now. Indy 500 winner Alexander Rossi, Ryan Hunter Ray, Iron Man himself, been with the team forever, Captain America. Like, right, sure. Like, we would have laughed at that because he would have been so far out of reputational and perceptual depth that going to an Andretti uh, auto sport would have seemed like, what are you smoking? And yet here we are, we're like a year later going, yeah, totally makes sense. <laughs> I can't wait to see him in the car. Now, granted, I don't want to see him di- displacing Hunter Ray, but just saying him at Andretti Autosport, totally makes total sense. He's going to make that team better. He's hopefully going to help them from starting off with a slump or ending with a slump or having a slump show up midseason, something they've dealt with the last couple of years. Uh, he's going to do a lot of things that make them better. And imagine... Colton Herta, who's rarely been pushed by his teammates since he arrived at Andretti Autosport, even a little bit before that at Harding Steinbrenner Racing. Um, I mean, I expect Rossi to be at his full Rossitude uh, and be pushing him like mad, but I also wonder if there's a little bit of like, yeah, we might be slightly different creatures, and you might have a little bit of something that you might find a little bit of extra speed easier than the rest of us. But I think Rochon is going to push. I expect there to be levels that Colton has to find or unlock uh, to deal with a on-form, fully confident, the world is my oyster, Romain Groschamp. Uh And also knowing that, in theory, a trio of Colton, Romain, and Alexander, that should be a roaming nightmare for the rest of the IndyCar teams, much like we've seen this year with Polo, Dixon, and Erickson, as we've seen with Power and Pagano, um, 
I'm sorry, Power and New Garden, Paginot, a little bit to a lesser degree. Um, certainly Pato's been a, a, a one-man freaking buzzsaw, but you know, Renus has certainly uh, been buzzsaw-esque at times as well. But this should be, could be, something that is different than what Andretti has had. Um, can't wait to see how this pans out. So uh, I don't know when they're going to announce it. Um, I think it might be a couple weeks, but nonetheless, uh, I know that there's a number of driver announcements planned for Long Beach. I know that in one or more conversations this morning with some of the folks who may be involved with the teams that I've written about today, mentioned to them, like, yeah, it's going to be interesting because if things go like I keep hearing they will, y'all are going to be trampling each other (laughs) at Long Beach with driver announcements and press conferences. And, boy, it sure would be cool if somebody said, hey, let's not all try and do the same thing at the same time and uh, maybe go a little earlier or a little later and stand out. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Kyle Lisk, 16. You take us into the other half of this topic, that being, so, hey, uh, if Romain Groschon is leaving, uh, what happens at Coin? Who fills that spot? And you also mentioned with Ed Jones more than likely losing his seat, who do you expect to be in the 18 Vassar Sullivan Sealmaster Special? That's a lot of S-sis-sis, Kyle Lisk. Uh, next year, he says, The one driver that stands out specifically with the Vassar Sullivan Sealmaster entry, the one driver that stands out where I cannot find his seat uh, in the silly season dance, where does he end up? Again, we could speculate, but actual like, okay, I'm trying to think of actual places he could land. That is presumptive uh, Indy Lights champion or Indy Lights runner-up Kyle Kirkwood. I am unaware of Andretti Autosport having a seat for him. Very aware that they want him in a seat. Very unaware of them actually having a seat. Kyle is not a kid who's born with uh, trust funds and wads of cash to spend. If he were to win the lights title, that'd bring, what, 1.2 million, whatever it is, and, you know, guarantee him some races uh, the following year. But that's not a 6 to $8 million budget. So knowing that Kirkwood has experience driving for Vassar Sullivan in IMSA, and they've seen how incredible the kid is and has been in a, you know, dang near 3,000-pound Lexus RCF GT3, the polar opposite of an Indy Lights car or an Indy car, knowing how this kid has instantly adapted, been a rocket in that he's had, uh, I guess specifically I would say, uh, Jack Hawksworth to measure up against. And Jack is a, he is just a nuclear explosion of speed. Um, Also, Aaron Tielitz, who's known to be, you know, a a super fast bunny as well. They fully understand Kyle Kirkwood, what he's capable of and how, that would be someone to put in your car. Believe that Andretti, he's obviously driving for Andretti right now, young Mr. Kirkwood. You'd have to believe that since he's driving for them, he would have a contract. 
you'd also have to believe, as is fairly common for not only an IndyCar driver, but also in particular a road to Indy driver, teams tend to give themselves somewhat favorable options uh, when signing a young driver. Uh, So I wouldn't pretend to know the contents of a contract, but I would think that Andretti Autosport would probably have a decent say as to whether Kyle could drive for someone else. So the the great question here on your specific topic of the 18 Vassar Sullivan entry, I am unaware of a scenario where Ed Jones stays in that car next year. Um, Got to pull out a Juan Montoya here. It is what it is. What we will wait and look for, Kyle, is where your other man, Kyle, uh, lands on Michael Andretti's benevolent radar. (laughs) Uh, I'm unaware as well of Michael having a full budget to put behind him. So in the absence of money to run him, as I've written many times, only continue to hear that Devlin DeFrancesco will be in Hinches, the car that Hinch is driving. Uh, I haven't heard about Michael trying to go to five cars next year, so I believe it's four. And if it's what he's told me it's going to be, then three are filled now with Roma. And if Devlin's in that fourth car, I don't see where Kyle Kirkwood goes. So knowing all those things, Kyle, it would be interesting to see if Mr. Andretti says, want to have you with us, don't have the means or method, not going to stand in your way if another team wants to sign you, Uh, but maybe we have the first right of signing you after whatever, a year or two or whatever it might be, whatever length contract you have. I don't know if Vassar Sullivan would agree to that, but I'm just saying. Uh, They don't want to let him go, but if they can't hold on to him, you would hope they wouldn't stand in his way if someone else calls. I could imagine there might be a few other drivers that uh, Vassar Sullivan would consider. A Hunter Ray, for example. Uh, maybe A Hinch, right? Uh, there's a number of names they might consider. But if I'm talking about building long-term, I'm really struggling to look past Kyle especially considering how well they know him since he's driven for them, just not an IndyCar quite yet. Uh, on the backfilling romance side, we'll have to see if it's Alex Albon. All I continue to hear is he's the number one possibility. Dale has this innate thing within him to find drivers we haven't heard of, or if we have, it's kind of a, oh yeah, I think. Um, so... Well, Albon's the flashy name, and I think he wants a flashy name. Scour your has driven in Formula One over the last five years, but isn't currently driving in Formula One list. Scour your top twelve in Formula Two, maybe even dating back to when it was GP two. And I mean, I guess you could look in Super Formula as well, since that's where they got Alex Pelot from, but. If you were to do that, five-year look back, who was but isn't right now in F1, and then do that with the top 12 or so in Formula 2 over the last three seasons, I bet you will find 
a driver whose name will end up on the side of a Dale Coin Racing entry bearing the number 51 with the delightful Rick Ware Racing. Uh, let's go to Ryan Terpstra, name checked already in the show. Going to mash the throttle a little bit here. Uh, I know I told you when I started, I also had about a half an hour conversation with a driver manager that uh, you didn't know about. So it's now 925. Um, let's see. where we. All right, Ryan, you're saying some guy with no oval experience in an IndyCar did a rookie test today, I think. So I'll bet you're right about it on Racer. But is there anything you might be able to share that didn't make it into the article? Um, no. And the reason for that is... I only had time to file a very quick story with very brief quotes and hit send while trying to run out the door for the rest of the afternoon with my wife for two of our uh, major appointments that didn't get us home until somewhat late. So did not have time to call around how things really go. I mean, from what I understand, they went fine, but you know, reach out to Hull or Dario or Dixon or Kanan and, you know, get the, the scoop. So I don't have much more. Um, is it strange or bad that I'm not that interested in this? I don't mean Jimmy potentially racing on an oval or ovals in the future. I mean, Jimmy doing an oval test in any car. Um, I don't know. I, I'm decidedly uninterested in it. Maybe just because I didn't have any real questions about him beforehand of whether he'd do well or whether he could, quote, handle it. Like, yeah, one of the most talented oval racers who's ever lived gets into a car that's faster on a track that he knows inside and out with gobs of grip and downforce. And I would expect whatever his lap speeds were would be at the front top two, top five. If it were a live IndyCar session, you know, for the Texas, whatever 600 kilometer race tomorrow, I, I just, to me, it's a non thing. It's a thing. Cause it's important. Cause it's Jimmy and it's his first IndyCar test, but zero curiosity about this because the shocking thing would have been him pulling on pit lane after seven laps, uh, jumping out of the car, crawling into the fetal position and crying like that would be the shock, but that was never going to happen because this guy's career started in off-road racing in the Mickey Thompson series and bouncing around and rattling your brain and having your freaking hips and tailbone bruised and snapped and all kind like this guy is as polished and nice and all the things that he happens to be like this guy comes from like real hardcore racing. So even though it's the fastest thing he's ever raced on or driven on an oval, like, eh, like this guy's just built to do this and at the highest level. So yeah, anyways, uh, maybe I'll find out more, but, uh, don't have it for you right now. Uh, Vincent 1701 says, what is Chip Ganassi's plan for 2022? Uh, four cars at all races with TK making it five at the ovals or something else. I believe as we've seen and heard and written about Vincent that uh, Jimmy signed a two-year contract. Tony did as well. So the question mark would be whether Jimmy decides to do a oval, the Indy 500, for example, 
or all ovals and where Tony fits into that. So the question I've posed to Mike Hull is if Jimmy elects to do one oval or more, what does that mean for Tony? To which he said, we're still figuring that out. Jimmy hasn't told us. Yes, we are. Yes, we aren't. Maybe a little, maybe a lot, maybe none. So it's hard to have an exact plan when you don't know what the plan is yet. So the obvious answer to it, though, is sponsorship provided. If Jimmy's going to go full-time next year, or even if he only does Indy, they have a contract with Tony, as I throw a Sharpie pen here for no reason. Uh, They have a contract with Tony, and I would have to imagine Tony would want to be in a race car because Tony's a race car driver and loves driving race cars. So that's the thing to figure out. If Jimmy wants to, they're not going to say no. We have to believe that Carvana, American Legion, and any and all other sponsors that they have uh, would step up to support that. But uh, does that mean they'd need to fund one extra car for Tony at the 500 so they're a five-car team or more? So realize that there's a contract in place, but as we've discussed more than once on the show, you can have a contract saying all kinds of things. And if there is not money to put a car on track for you with that contract, gets a little bit uncomfortable, usually doesn't fall in the driver's favor of getting the car that they want to drive. It's usually some form of payout uh, or, quote, settlement or something like that. not saying any of that's going to happen here, but that's the question. So uh, we don't have the answer yet. I would say, though, in Chip Ganassi racing world, it would be strange for them to not have game-planned strategied and strategized. All right, well, what if he does say he wants to do all of them? What do we do with Canon? Who do we have that could run a fifth car? Do we have the money to do it? Uh, Crew-wise, are we able to? Uh, Does the IMSA schedule conflict at any of those ovals, knowing that we would likely have to take our A crew and assemble it from our sports car team, as we've done many times, uh, to run that extra car, you know, there's, it wouldn't be an unfamiliar dance for them, but uh, I'd be surprised if they haven't at least spoken about it in terms of managers thinking on it at least. But uh, yeah, all driven by Mr. Johnson and his desires. Uh, let's see, where do we go here as I try and wind things down a little bit? Uh, <laughs> James Counter and John Wojnar. Getting us into last weekend's really sad and depressing Belgian Grand Prix. Uh, For those of you who don't know about it, just uh, let happy thoughts flow through your brain as I try and answer this quickly. Don't look into it. It's just going to make you sad. Uh, James Counter says, when was the last time IndyCar didn't know how many laps it had done or how many it needed to do? Uh, Referring to a Grand Prix with what, I think, three official time laps, uh, or I shouldn't say time, three official race laps. Uh, or maybe two, four, whatever the number was. It had to be more than two per the regulations. They went out once uh, behind the pace car, then went out a second time and pulled in once they had satisfied that number. Uh, yeah, brutal. Uh, I don't know, James. Uh, let's just hope. Look, IndyCar didn't know they were racing in the rain on an oval, so uh, maybe there was some sort of event where they forgot how many laps they'd done. Uh, I mean, granted, Portland 97, wasn't it, when the checkered flag was shown early? Anyways, 
Uh, or was it another? No, that was an IMSA race. I'm such an idiot. Anyways, disregard me. I don't know what I'm talking about. But if you listen to this podcast, you've already accepted that. Uh, John Wojnar, one of the leaders of our Prude listener group. If you like wacky racing fans, probably more in the IndyCar tip than, than any other series, you know, but there's also some sports car love going on, a lot of bench racing. Uh, reach out to me on the Twitters or the Facebooks or the, the IGs, the Instagrams, DM or whatever, and I'll get you connected with Wojnar or Matt Philpot, Ryan Terpstra, Jeremiah Morrell and, and so many other um, really Chris Ward, really, really good folks who kind of take active roles in this listener collective. Um, they're a lot of fun. Uh, it's all kind of private chat and whatnot. But uh, if you're looking for some racing friends, uh, racing family, if you just need a pick me up, uh, if you're having a hard time and I say that in all truthosity, uh, I've had a couple of folks say, Hey, I'm struggling. Like I'm truly, I, I could just use, uh, some fun and support and whether it's take my mind off of stuff or who knows, maybe, uh, some folks that'll help just lift me up a little bit. Um, I can say more than a few people have joined the, the Prude listener group here and found that they have, uh, like-minded brothers and sisters who, uh, embrace them and also have a lot of fun. So. Let me know. Uh, I always forget to mention this at the outside of the show. I think I also forgot. <laughs> I think I also forgot to say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com. Um, can you tell I'm off my game if I was ever on my game? But can you tell how far off my game I am? Oh, boy. Mr. Wojnar says, uh, mentioned, sorry for the loss of Robin. Um so to lighten things up, I have a question about a Grand Prix that got affected by inclement weather. No, not that one. I was just curious if you have any memories or stories you heard from people about the 2002 Surfers Paradise race in Australia that apparently took place in the midst of a cyclone. It says, with what happened in Spa, it'd be interesting uh, to hear about the cart versus F1 angles of this snafu. Um, it says, as always, praying for you and the family, brother. Thank you, John. Really, truly. Never met John, but I can't wait to meet him. Um, I don't. I wish I did. Uh, my colleagues at Racer was mentioning it this morning. How sad he was seeing what happened at Spa on Sunday and knowing that he could no longer reach out to Robin and have him tell the story of Surfer's Paradise 2002 or write a story. Um, that was my era as well, but my last year working in IndyCar was 2001, and having done it for 15 years straight or whatever it was, half of my life by that point working in motor racing, I still remained in touch a little bit in 2002, but I did try and disconnect pretty heavily just to see what it was like. And it didn't last long. <laughs> I was back working for teams, I think, by 2003, uh, flying in, doing a lot of stuff, doing a lot of work locally, driver coaching and engineering and blah, 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 blah. But, yeah, I apologize here. But truly, I, I remember it being a thing, but I have no details for you because that was the first year of Marshall Pruitt attempting to be a normal human being. 
failure, complete failure. Uh, our show's minister of mirth, Lance Snyder, poses a question that I appreciate because I can raise my hand and yet again reveal my idiocy uh, through a question. It says, why are there so many drama llamas involving the Leader Circle program? Why is the series acting like this information is double secret probation? Great question. I don't know, but it is, there has been a change towards this in the last, I can't tell you how many years, couple years. There was once a willingness to talk about it, publish it, put it in the media guide, um, like be not totally transparent, but kind of transparent. It wasn't a taboo subject. Oh, it has become a super taboo subject. Not necessarily with teams, but with the series. Uh, yeah. yeah. You would probably get a better response from someone at IndyCar if you said, hey, could you show me nude pictures of your mother and father? <laughs> then if you were to ask, hey, could you fill me in a little bit about Leader Circle and how this works and blah, blah, blah. Um, realize, who knows, maybe it's the fact that I'm asking. Maybe other folks asking the question get a better response. But I can just tell you that from hashtag me personally, yeah, boy, this has become a, how dare you ask or talk about the leader circle. Uh, so here's something that I learned after you want to talk about double secret probation. Here's something that I was corrected on with quadruple secret. There's a drone strike coming to your house. If you ever say that I told you this, um, I was told by a team owner whose third entry, actually two team owners with third entries this season, part-time entries, I take that back, with extra entries. One was a third, the other one I don't remember what number. But anyways, told by two, more strongly from one than the other, that they were going all out with that part-time extra car in the hope that it would bring them a leader circle contract by being in the top 22 in entrant points. So wrote about that. I've written about that consistently have put that in my standing cool down lap post race column, the uh, leader circle report or whatever. And totally my fault, hundred percent on me, not them hundred percent on me for just, taking things as told as being factually correct. In my next cool-down lap column, I will do a leader circle roundup, but I'll also include a big note at the beginning of it that I've been totally wrong. Uh, I believe someone wanting to, I don't know, or someone asked a bit of a, di a question in a dickish manner recently that I know angered Wojnar. Um... I believe Kevin Lee, uh, the NBC broadcaster, radio host, etc., uh, was 100% correct. And I have been for too much of this year 100% uh, wrong. 
you've got to be a full-time entry in order to qualify for a leader circle. What I have said, written, whatever, is if you are inside the top 22, you have earned the right to receive a leader circle. Totally wrong, 100% wrong, 100% on me, further affirmation, I'm a moron. We'll also say that in that conversation, the quadruple, if you ever, you're going to get blowed up, Pruitt, uh, there was also a conversation that went something along the lines of, yeah, that's really stupid. <laughs> that's really stupid. That's That's equally as moronic. If you are operating at a level with a part-time entry that is capable of finishing the season in the top 22. They have earned a leader circle on merit because in theory, there are full-time entries they have displaced and knocked out. So in a merit-based sport, hey, we hold time trials. And if you're the fastest, you have earned the right to start first. And if you are the slowest, you start last. And hey, we're going to run a race. And if you finish again, all right. So since we are looking at points in a competition-based series where excellence is rewarded and the absence of excellence is penalized or recognized in a way where it is indisputable, why on earth? Would you strip that away from a contest to earn a leader circle contract, a $1.1, $1.2 million stipend? Why would you do that? If there's someone who, crazily enough, can earn a leader circle by being in the top 22 while being a part-time entry, you're going to maintain a rule that says, oh, sorry, we wrote it. It says, you got to be full-time in order to get one. Well, what the hell do you think they're trying to do? If they've run enough races to qualify, I'm sorry, run enough races and had strong enough results to qualify for leader circle, where the hell do you think they're trying to go? Oh, you know, we're actually going to do fewer races next year. What? No. They're trying to become full-time, obviously. They've done well enough to prove it by being in the top 22, but because they aren't magically Starting off as a full-time, they don't even qualify to earn one? Just as dumb as can be. So I think that might have been acknowledged as, yeah, maybe that warrants thinking of about and reconsidering a little bit uh, going forward. Do I think it's going to change? No. But do I think it's really sad? Yes. Am I this passionate about it because I've been wrong and I want them to change a rule so I'm right? It'd be easy for me to say yes, and I'd tell you yes if it was the truth. No, look, I'm wrong. I say I'm wrong all the time because I'm always wrong, but it's just one of those things where I'm like, come on, we we root for the underdog, and when the underdog does something good, you're going to hold them back for no reason at all? Come on, man. That's just not fair. Uh, let's see. James Counter, you're back again. Man, this is the uh, James Counter episode uh, with three weeks between races. Um, what have the teams been doing in this gap? Anything they'll be doing that they might not normally do? Just one race in isolation uh, after one race in isolation, but might do after many consecutive races? 
this is really the big push, the big push to finish the season. So it's not as if any vehicular maintenance gets pushed aside when things are busy. I would just say that anything's like, oh boy, is there a deeper level of inspection we might do? Are there things that we know uh, are good? Really, we don't don't have to tear into this area of the car after every race. Normally, it's one of those things where you do it right and you're good for a month or two or three or however many races, whatever mileage. It's things like that where you go, hey, if we're truly in contention for something, it's not uncommon for a team to say, all right, we're going to we're gonna ask you to dive into that, and it's going to be a pain, and it's going to take a while, and you're going to be mad the whole time, but do it because it sure would suck for us to be in contention for a championship or some sort of meaningful result uh, in the overall championship. Maybe it's getting that leader circle, and we find out that that thing that never loosens up and caused the car to shut off or whatever, it did. And we had the time to look. We knew there was a lot on the line. We just decided we were going to chill uh, and, and leave early uh, and go to the bar or go watch whatever. Um, that kind of stuff, James, where the teams that really do care, not all of them care as much as the next, but it's that kind of stuff. So, uh, all right, what else can we do here uh, before we start to uh, head towards farewell? Um, the good man who is Jamie Rowe. Appreciate you, Jamie. Uh, I'm going to take a sip here. Says, hey, Marshall, after the excitement provided by the Grand Prix of Belgium, <laughs> I didn't think that excitement for open wheel racing could be topped. But let's face it, the USF 2000 in Jersey pulled it off with the incredible last lap pass by Miles Rowe for the win. This is the great picture. That great picture needs to occur again and again in the sport we love. And wondering if you're hearing if Miles will progress up the steps of the road to Indy next year. Also wondering if you're hearing any news about the continuation of Pred Autosport. So as Roger Penske got a great start on the race for equality and change, and it must continue forward. Amen, Brother Jamie. Amen. Texted Miles after his win, congratulated him. I mean, wow. Uh, texted, I think I texted RP as well. I think. I think I did. Last couple days, overstating the obvious. Been a little bit of a blur. Um, I think I got back an amazing, amazing Roger Penske three thumbs up emojis in a row. Something like that. Again, I love it. Um, Wow. I'm so happy for him. I'm so happy for Roger. I'm so happy for Team Penske. So happy for Rod Reed, uh, who's been put in charge of all this, the uh, Force Indy team. So happy for Miles, mechanics, engineers, PR rep, just up and down, everybody. Then his family. For those who don't know, uh, I live in a life where it is uh, interracial. My wife is black, I am white, and none of that matters to anything, but it does matter in the sense that uh, a lot of my life is lived uh, 
within the the hemisphere of African-American life and family and sensibilities and culture and all that. So when I see Miles Rowe, beautiful child, skilled child, uh, spirit as big as the sky, uh, and his beautiful family, a black family filling out the podium mom dad grandparents aunts uncles nieces nephews you name it that's just not an image that we see in motor racing now i'm not saying that you know bubba wallace has never been on the podium with his mom and dad of course he has lewis hamilton with his dad and so on right his brother but it truly a black race car driver winning black race car driver with whatever the number is pretty much his whole family extended family with him uh you want to talk about fighting back some tears strictly because of that beautiful image that we don't see haven't seen but want to i want to I don't want to speak for all of you or any of you, but as someone who spends a large percentage of his life in a black world, this is something that I have dreamt of for so long here in IndyCar. I realize Miles won in USF 2000, but it is an IndyCar-sanctioned series. He's the first. Never happened for Willie T. Never happened for George Mack. He's the first to win in an IndyCar-sanctioned event. (sighs) Just, I know I keep using the word beautiful, but that's what it is to me. Beautiful. And like Janet Guthrie, breaking the gender barrier and being followed by Lynn St. James and being followed by Sarah and Danica and Simona and Pippa and Kat and so on and so on. This is that thing where you go, open wheel racing is not changing overnight because miles row one race two of the three round USF 2000 weekend at New Jersey Motorsports park. That's absolutely not happening. But what has happened is the visual representation of a dream being manifest. And that's the thing that strikes me. That's the thing where for every little black boy, black girl, Asian boy, Asian girl run through every ethnicity that is not heavily represented in motor racing, in open wheel racing in particular. Um, Every little girl, who hasn't seen enough of herself in her peers at the top, spending her time in carting, spending his time in carting, not seeing many who look like them. This is something where you have to believe. You have to hope that parents will say, parents will point out, look at what Miles just did. It's possible. We always knew it was possible, but here's proof because he did it and did it with a badass chase down, win it on the final lap, final corner, 
right? Wow. Um, just so I just wanted to, uh, share a little bit of love there for miles and his amazing family. And just that beautiful picture. Like I'm going to hopefully print that and put it up on a wall as a, uh, as a mission statement of, all right, son, you're the first, not the last can't be the last. Uh, but let's consider this knowing that we have those photos of Willie T propped up in the cockpit of that number 17, that hideous chartreuse and pinkish purple, whatever the hell it was. Uh, Lola Buick qualifying for the 1991 Indy 500. George Mack, obviously in that silver 310 racing G force Chevy in 2002 at Indy. I mean, we have those images. We've held on to them. That's the aspirational thing for those of us who care about such things and wanting to see all of us represented in the sport and not just in token numbers of one or maybe two. This is the C. This is the legacy. This is the next chapter of what we've hoped for. And yes, it's the bottom rung of the road to Indy, but hey, parents with sons and daughters of whatever shade, uh, of no shade who look like me, whatever. I hope you are inspired by what has happened here. And if you had any doubts before, now you know. Get that kid into a cart, or if they're in a cart, whatever you can, get them into USF 2000. Start getting them up the road to Indy because they could absolutely be the next miles row. So that's my little thought there, Jamie. Thanks for opening that up. Uh, I believe, and I would, if anyone were to ask for my opinion from the team, I would say, Miles Rowe, you are doing two years in Uf, USF 2000. I need to listen back to an interview that I did with Roger Penske a little over a month ago, I think. I don't know. might have been longer than that. Could be two. Time's flown by a little bit. But I believe in there. He told me plans are to continue with Miles next year. Don't take that as fact i need to find that interview pull that up make sure that it's accurate and if so then i'll put that in a story i also need to reconfirm with rp about that i spoke with uh, his number two guy bud denker today and he said i don't honestly know because you know roger doesn't tell me everything so uh need to confirm that but i would say that while winning this race in challenging circumstances in the wet and all the things that were amazing about it's awesome but miles needs more time in usf 2000 before throwing him into indy pro 2000 so the foundation of skill building talent development would not want to see his win change people's perception of his overall need the hey we're going to try and get you up to the big leagues as fast as possible I don't believe that's anything they would try and do. So I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm concerned they would. Just overstating the obvious here. Um, he has considerable talent, but still in a fairly high state of undevelopment. Is that even a word? I don't think so, but uh, he just needs a little bit more time. So hope to come back on this in a story 
about him returning next year with Force Indy in USF 2000. Uh, good pal Willie T. Rang today. This is the first thing we spoke about. I'm going to try and drop that into a story. Also got some quotes from Bud Denker just about the validation of Road to Indy and what it's meant to do. It, well, it's now it's doing it. Uh, it's not just there and representing an abstract idea. Uh, they have their first win and hopefully the first of many. So um, anyways, I'll put that into another story there. Um, I'm trying to read through your question here again because I apologize. It slightly fell out of my brain a little bit. Um, heard whispers that there could be an interest in, I don't know, honestly, if it's Force Indy or another team, but I've heard there could be uh, some expanded goals with the uh, Race for Equality and Change initiative. Does that mean there might be another entry somewhere on the ladder uh, next year, the year after? I don't honestly know, but I've heard whispers that there could be something. I'm actively pursuing that, but I I don't have that yet. Uh, As for... Pareto Autosport, continuing, I have no clue. Jamie, I haven't spoken with Beth Peretta uh, since, actually she and I haven't spoken on the phone for quite some time, but uh, communicated via text, I think, might have been a couple days after the Indy 500. Uh, I haven't reached out to her. She hasn't reached out to me about whatever, so um, I unfortunately have zero information to offer you. she tends to let me know when she has something going on. So I hope to hear that there's lots more going on. I hope to hear that she and Simona De Silvestro and the awesome, awesome women who ran the car uh, with help from uh, Team Penske are back doing more races, not just the Indy 500, but more. Uh, the more Simona Di Silvestro we have an IndyCar, the better IndyCar happens to be. So, um, referring back to the obituary on Jackie Doty, uh, I just I look at a Beth, and just really hope, really, really, really hope that her desire to be an IndyCar entrant is matched with the corporate interest the funding right she leased ricardo Junco's a car from ricardo Junco's. that car's been returned it'll be in action here at portland and the the other two races to finish the season uh to my knowledge i haven't heard anything about beth buying a car of her own and having a car of her own so i just don't know where things are at with her asset wise growth wise budget wise but Had someone other than Elio won the Indy 500, I'm still convinced we would have left the month of May, looked at the traffic metrics on all the teams and things that happened during the month of May at Indy, and she and Simona would have been the clear number one by a long shot. Uh, they, (laughs) They received more coverage from more gigantic, Gigantic outlets, whether it's online, whether it is magazine, newspaper, uh, national television, 
It's just ridiculous how much press they received and generated and ridiculous in the best kind of way. Elio won. That became the pulling every heartstring on the planet. And so, again, I think that ended up topping what they did. I'm guessing, but regardless. Elio winning is what I think most people are going to remember first and foremost. Joining the four-timers club, his crazy everything after the win and running around and right. It was a feel-good story of forever, and it helped so many of us just to breathe and and feel normal again after a year and a half of COVID or whatever the duration was. I'd still say, though, uh, Beth, majority female team, women racers, badass women racers on top of that, and then Simona driving, even with the struggles they had and having to, you know, go through potentially being bumped and all that, even though they weren't competitive in qualifying or the race, uh, still massive what they were able to achieve. So that's why, Jamie, I am so hopeful that we get them back for more than just the Indy 500 because I believe there is a big audience waiting to hear about that next chapter. Uh, Enough so that Elio signing to come back full-time and what, he's going to be like 97 next year when he's done? Um, I still think that the news of Peretta coming back and doing, whether it's just Indy or more, uh, I think that there are more outlets waiting to shower coverage on them and by effect the Indy, uh, IndyCar series than anyone else. So many fingers crossed. Uh, Kyle, Matthew Levine, said, great drive from Miles Row over the weekend. Can you give us more info on his background? I'd love to learn more about him. And his USF 2000 bio shows a gap in his career after 2017. Curious what he did and how he kept his skills sharp. Would recommend uh, visiting racer.com, Kyle, and typing Miles Row into the little search function, and you'll find uh, at least one story from me about the kid, if not two, and not saying a full bio is in that story, but across whatever I've written, um, you'll probably find out um, definitely more about him that you wouldn't maybe find elsewhere. I don't know. Uh, the final stuff about, hey, Hard to find that after 2017 info. Yeah, it's because he had nothing, basically. So he was doing some karting. And he's still a kid. He's still a baby. But he's doing some karting. Uh, he was seen and beaten, <laughs> or he was beating uh, Will Power. Uh, racing, I think, I think Willie P said at the, whatever, GoPro uh, track whatever it's named in North Carolina that he races at all the time. Um, he just mentioned this kid. Uh, he's in front of me, and I can't make him go behind me, and that's a problem, and uh, what's going on here? And then went and looked him up in the paddock, and it was like, hey, uh, you, <laughs> what's going on here? Like, uh, Wow. And then got to know him a little bit and found out that, yeah, indeed, uh, he'd had a little bit of open wheel, junior open wheel stuff, but not much. You know, budget ran out. Uh, you know, he did well, but didn't do great uh, in the, the junior open wheel stuff. And again, full, just raw potential, but potential undeveloped. 
And uh, Power's like, well, that's a problem. We need to solve that. Uh, you need to be developed. And, you know, uh, some folks love willpower like I do. Some people don't. I just say for the don't folks, uh, willpower, white guy from Toowoomba, Australia, lived a fairly privileged life since he became a professional race car driver um some hard scrabble stuff growing up not saying he didn't but just you know this is a guy who's had life um by the balls for quite some time now and he had nothing within him where he needed to look at a black kid and say this is ridiculous you should not be here racing go-karts you should be doing something getting yourself towards IndyCar and I mentioned the black part because that is a part and so not just Will looking at Miles saying you're a crazy talent and you don't belong here you belong to go up how can I help it's also Will saying hey we need talent like yours because we don't have any black kids who are anywhere close to coming to IndyCar and that's important to me from a diversity standpoint and creating diversity that is lacking in and of its own um and then will coming back maybe we'll talk about this more postseason um there are other black kids that will has come across or he said hey uh you you shouldn't be here you should be going up in the road indy how do we make that happen or hey you showed a lot of talent in karting but things stalled out. Uh, how can I get you back into karting? Put you in one of mine. Uh, get you onto a team. Uh, fund that. How can I, right? So credit willpower for Miles Rowe being in a position to win his first race. He is 100% responsible for setting everything in motion. Miles obviously had to put in the work. Rod Reed had to put the team together. His crew had to put the car together properly and engineer. I mean, again, there's so, so I'm not singling Will out like he is more special than anyone else. He is not. But we absolutely have to give him credit for being the instigator, in inspirator in something. He's the guy that said, I found a kid who's amazing and how can I help him go upwards? Uh, don't recall if I've mentioned this on the show before. Not, it's not like it's top secret or anything. I just I don't know if I've ever spoken about it. Maybe I have, but uh, it was this time last year. It feels like uh, it was Power reaching out saying, "Hey, I found this kid, and he's amazing." And I know that Roger just announced his race for equality and change program and they said that they want to do things to help african-american drivers i we this kid here he's the one but i don't know how to facilitate that and he did know how to facilitate it so and i don't i'm not saying that in any kind of critical way it's just he's in a bit of an awkward position of my boss the boss of bosses who pays me to drive his race car and I am his employee has announced something and 
here's a kid who I think would be amazing, and I want to suggest him, present him, you name it. But there's that thing of, well, am I affiliated with him or not? Is there a deal between me and him or not? Like, I'm not saying there ever was, but there's that thing of like, hey, uh, I don't know if I don't know how I go to my boss and say, "Hey, boss, uh, I found someone. Please spend your money on him without there being questions about me and am I involved and whatever else." So it's just a little awkward. And so he rang, saying basically, uh, "This kid's too good not to be part of the race for equality and change. Any ideas on how we might facilitate that with the uncomfortable things that I just mentioned?" And then he said the magic words, do you think Willie T might help or be involved somehow? And I said, yeah, I think so. And said, oh, do you know, do you think you could like talk to him or maybe you could text him or send him an email or whatever it was? And I'm like, no, I'm going to call him right now. <laughs> and so just did a three-way call. And again, this is just being the conduit, nothing more. Just like, yeah, hey, sure, I let me call him and then... I mean, I'm going to be on the call, I guess, but wow. Hey, ribs, meet power, power, meet ribs. Will's like, Oh man. Oh, it's great. You know, I've always respected you and always wanted to meet you and blah, blah, blah. And ribs is like, I forget what he said to him, but he said something, a cost, a costing is like, we already did meet. What are you a freaking idiot? You don't remember? And ribs remembers everything. He's like, yeah, I was here and there. And power's like, Oh yeah. He had no memory of it at all. But anyways, They'd met before and they became fast friends. And next thing you know, Willie T who was due to speak with Roger speaks with Roger and says, Hey, uh, I hear there's a kid named miles Rowe that power found and you need to talk to power about him. The next race you're at, I think it might've been Portland too. Funnily enough, I again, I could be wrong, but, uh, you need to talk to power. Cause I talked to power. You got this new race for quality and change thing. RP was already talking to Willie about being a part of it. Um, hey, I think you might have your guy. Um, and by chance, one of your drivers happened to find him because he was kicking his ass. So when you get to the next race, pull power aside because there's something there. And uh, that ended up happening. Uh, I don't remember if RP grabbed power, power broached the subject. Hey, Willie T told me, spoke with you, but kind of just eased the path eased everything so there was no real concern about motivations or attachments or any of that and yeah uh tests followed uh I, again i could be so off on the timeline exactly last year but whatever um but yeah so huge thanks to william jehoshaphat power uh and then also obviously to roger s Pensky for making this possible because one found miles one said, yes, I believe in him. I am putting my money behind this, and we're going to launch this thing and see where it goes. And here we are with their first win. Uh, where am I going to take you for the last question or two? Todd Hudson, you say, not much to watch formula one on sunday but they did a nice piece uh mick schumacher getting to drive his dad's jordan 191 that was michael schumacher's first ever car that he drove in 1991 20 year anniversary at the belgian grand prix i'm sad to report that i am old enough to have 
woken up at whatever hour to watch that race live and videotaped it. And I still have the VHS videotape from Spa 91 of Michael Schumacher's F1 debut, which didn't last long, unfortunately, in one of the most beautiful Formula One cars ever created. But nonetheless, uh, Todd's question, which I love. So with so many IndyCar drivers having racing lineage, who'd you like to see get a chance to take a spin in a car formerly driven by their elder? One name comes to mind. I'm guessing many of you have had the same come to mind, and that is Colton Herta. That would be Colton Herta driving one of his dad's Shell-sponsored Ray Hall, Team Ray Hall, Renards. And I'm trying to remember, I think they were Mercedes-powered. Could be, I don't know why Ford is coming to mind. I'm probably wrong on that. I apologize. But uh, one of his dad's, like, 97, 98 uh, Team Ray Hall, Renard Kart Indy cars. <sighs> First thing, no disrespect to my beloved pal, Brian Herta, but whatever lap time Brian did in that car at its peak, if we could go back in time, same exact car, same exact time, but with a 21-year-old son climbing in, Colton would go faster. I think we know this. I don't think I'm saying anything brand new here. I think Brian's kind of acknowledged that as well, but I would love to see Colton in one of his dad's cart Indy cars. I'd love to see him in any cart Indy car uh, from the 90s, early 2000s, even Champ Car. I think that kid would not only just destroy the track, rip up the track with the speed that he generates, but he would love every minute of it, and it would have great meaning to him. Not just racing one of his dad's old Indy cars, that would have meaning, but being able to go out and extract maximum speed from it that's what i would want to see of him coming in going oh my god <laughs> today's indie cars they make all their speed and i'm talking road and street courses they make all their speed in the corners enough so that it's they're faster than the cart cars were granted there are some points where that might not have been totally the case but nonetheless Today's Indy cars don't do a lot in a straight line, right? It's kind of a lower horsepower formula. Back then, uh, and also a bit of a higher downforce era. Uh, but back then, oh my God, the power. And there were some super sticky tires too. So again, at certain points, you could have some crazy cornering. Crazy cornering. But in general, um, I would just love to see him arrive at turn one at Road America at 9,000 miles an hour in one of his dad's old late 90s cart Indy cars and have to figure out what to do with that speed uh, and know that it's not going to carry everything that his Delarity W12 does through that corner. But, man, I would love to see him figure it out and then see the expression on his face or firing through the kink or, 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 or. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah. I think where the, hey, I drove the car that my dad drove and there was a, you know, a chase vehicle that took video and photos and, you know, I never got out of third gear or second gear. Um, that's not the Colton, ex Colton experience that I'm looking for. Uh, I think him saying, thank you, Firestone, for the three sets of brand new reds that you sent along so I could get hundred percent out of my dad's old hot rod 
Um, that would be the cool part, and I know that's exact. He wouldn't want to just tool around in second gear taking photos. Like that, that's just not him. If it's not pure and authentic and maximum, that's not him. So imagine that. That would be the best. Um, Dan Rice says, MP, despite all the warnings from this podcast, I watched the movie Driven on Hulu last week. I did it for two reasons. You guys keep saying it's a terrible movie, and I have an odd affinity for bad movies. See, I do too, Dan, so that's why I watch it, because, you know, when it's bad, but they didn't know it was going to be bad, and they thought they were achieving greatness, but it ended up being a big old steaming pile of poop, I love those too. So I'm with you there. This is my first question is, why didn't I listen to you about this? Second, why do I want a good IndyCar comedy like Talladega Nights? Third, who do we get from the current grid to appear in a comic role? I mean, again, the obvious is Hinch, right? But really, it's Rossi. Yeah, that guy's, I mean, desert, desert dry humor with that guy. But he is so smart and so funny, so witty as well, so complex, bothered by everything. Um there are a number of comedians that come to mind that I could compare him to. He's like a less shouty Lewis Black. I think that's a good thing, maybe. So, yeah, uh, Rossi for sure. I mean, again, you can fill that cast with uh, Connor for sure. Daly's going to be in there. Uh, who else? Who else? Rosenquist. He's a really funny guy. He's got a great sense of humor. He doesn't always let it out, but again, uh, there are some very different personalities in IndyCar, and I think a lot of them could actually end up being very, very funny. Uh, New Garden, too. Um, with a little bit of acting confidence, um, yeah, that guy's got something there for sure. Power, of course, just as the mercurial rainbow pony that he is. I don't think this would be a hard one to cast, Dan. I think we'd actually have too many. Uh, we're going to close with one that I am not going to answer, but I just wanted to read it. It's already 1019. My Lord. Uh, Ryan Terpstra says, I'm going to bargain for getting the last question again this week. Give us the most not safe for work Robin Miller story that you can share. Easy enough to tell people because, hey, maybe uh, they've tuned out by now. He says, I will miss Robin. I'm very sorry for your loss, MP. Thanks, Ryan. Again, I I don't know. It, it's weird. I just always think, like, the losses for the family, for the rest of us, it's just sad. But I'm aware of a Robin memorial happening at some point in time. Not totally sure when. Have somewhat of an idea. Haven't heard anything formal or official. But, again, I, I in the back of my mind, I've been told a general where and when to kind of Keep open if possible. If I can go, and that if is really based on one thing, if people there are going to be wearing masks and taking this virus serious, I will go. If they aren't, I won't. And this isn't some sort of mask, whatever thing, uh, soapbox. It's, hey, we're jumping back into hardcore chemo tomorrow. Uh, that hardcore chemo destroys the immune system and makes a person ultra-prone 
and exposed to the common cold, the flu, the coronavirus, or anything else, and can take them from you more easily than you would believe. So, again, this isn't a, quote, mask, vaccine, whatever thing. It's we're entering back into something where there are giant risks. If I am not very choosy of where I go, who I'm, who I'm around, I'll be masked, if not double masked. So that's not a question. But am I going to put myself in the middle of a herd of a bunch of folks who either aren't uh, vaccinated or aren't wearing masks? No, because I love my wife more than them. <laughs> so with that little proviso, if I can go, uh, there is a story. If we get to storytelling and someone were to ask me to tell a story that fits this exact, exact line of questioning. Um, oh, Jesus. I might still have evidence of it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to save it for then, provided I can tell it. Provided I can go, and if I can, I'll tell it. Not if there are children and whatnot present. Um, so who knows? Maybe be told in a private setting. Again, who knows? If I can't, um, I'll try and remember to share it. Maybe end of year, farewell to the year, farewell to uh, our man Miller. But I can just tell you, never forgotten it. It is burned into my existence and will never stop being problematic. <laughs> uh, Miller, oh my gosh. That guy, y'all. Um, I wish you knew him. I wish you knew all of him and as, as well as some of us got to because, yeah, uh, I, I know this is a well, uh, often mentioned thing when you lose someone who you loved a lot, but I mean, really, there's never anyone like him. Never will be anyone like him. Um, that's why this hurts so much. Like there's just not even, not even a runner up. All right. Well, we, we sadly, we lost Miller, but we can go over here and get a little bit of no, no. So anyways, uh, thanks for asking Ryan one way or the other. Uh, I'm going to tell the story, but, uh, just not right now, my friend. All right. Thank you to you for all your questions, all the really kind things you have sent and said, well wishes for my wife and I about Robin, about just all kinds of stuff. Uh, rest well, Robin and Jackie Doty and Steve Brody and uh, just not too prior before them, Bob Jenkins and on and on and on. Uh, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the beautiful people at Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers in TorontoMotorsports.com. Ricardo Junkos will be our guest this week. So I'll send out that call for questions in the morning. And we're going to talk about stuff that is pre-recorded and says a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, but I'm going to have to sit on that and publish it until right after news comes out of uh, who's driving for them to Portland. 